Welcome to Whitechapel Church Online. You're currently listening to preaching from our Sunday services. We believe that when the preaching happens, that collectively we're hearing the Word of God, and that God's Word has the power to change who we are. We also believe that God can meet you right where you're at, and that He has a Word specifically for you. We hope that you enjoy today's sermon, and we would love to have you at an in-person service. Head over to whitechapelchurch.com to get more info. Enjoy the sermon, and be blessed. If you have a Bible, would you turn to the book of Colossians? We are going to continue our study of the book of Colossians. So uh, last week, we, we uh, were over in chapter 2. We're going back to chapter 1. And we are going to focus on how to live presence-centered lives. So we're going to talk over the next several weeks and how to build presence-centered lives. And by presence-centered lives, I simply mean lives that are centered on the presence of Jesus. That's it. Absolutely nothing more. So if we intend to live in relationship with God, then what we have to do is live a life that is centered on His presence. Absolutely nothing else, simply centered upon Him. There's lots of advice that we could get in the world, and lots of people would give us really bad self-help advice. And if you notice the interesting thing in self-help advice The first word of that is self, and it's focused on self. And so what we want to do is build a life not focused on self, but instead is focused on the presence of Jesus Christ. So I just want to share with you um, something that we are a part of, of Whitechapel Church, that is not only helping us build presence-centered lives, but also are helping other people and other churches, other pastors and other churches, build presence-centered churches. Uh, Something that we support as a church is called Ignite. It was birthed, actually, uh, from Pastor Gary and our state pastor, Ken Love. Uh, as they got this, the Lord stirred this, and Ken, uh, Pastor Gary and Pastor Ken got together, and they, sh- they began dreaming of what this uh, could actually become back in 2015. And over the last seven-ish years or so, uh, there have been about 100 pastors and therefore churches that are a part of this Ignite Ministries that is simply focused on building presence-centered lives and presence-centered churches. And so this last week on Wednesday and Thursday in Orlando was the first gathering of all of the pastors and leaders that are a part of Ignite Ministries in Orlando. And so for those 28 or so hours, these pastors gathered and spent time in some some conferences, if you will, and then spending time praying together and praying for each other so that we push each other to to lead presence-centered churches. And the testimonies that have come out of this have just been mind-boggling. And so I'm not sharing or going to divulge any information that's not already out there or uh, something that other pastors haven't shared um, or would want us to not share. One of the pastors stood up at, at the end as we were closing on Thursday in a time of testimony, and he shared about how the enemy was attacking him. 
because we know that the work the enemy does is distract us from the presence of God. If we were to go back to the first act of temptation, what was that? It was distracting and Adam it was distracting Adam and Eve from the presence of God because the enemy knew that when sin entered our lives that it separated us from the presence of God. So this pastor stood and he shared this testimony of how Ignite and thereby us as a church by investing in Ignite Ministries. So when you give to Whitechapel Church, we take a percentage of what you have given to us and we reinvest that into Ignite Ministries. Ignite Ministries then invest that into the lives of the leaders so that they're leading present-centered lives, so they're leading present-centered churches, and they're raising up within these churches presence-centered people, that we're building presence-centered lives. The pastor stands and he shares about how the attack of the enemy on his life. It happened over a, a significant period of time. Eventually, this is where the pastor got and because of Ignite Ministries and your investment in Ignite in Whitechapel Church, we invest in Ignite Ministries. The pastor said he was driving back in his home state. He's driving over the bridge. He's depressed. He doesn't know what to do. He's simply going through the routines every single day. And as he drives over the bridge, he says, it's time to end my life. The attack of the enemy was on his life and had separated him so far from the presence of God. He's still doing routine to ministry. He's just ready to end his life. Through, through your giving, through your, our investment in Ignite, this pastor shared how the Lord has set him free. He's now living a present-centered life, chasing after the heart of the Lord, and it has not only transformed his life, it's transformed his marriage, and it's transformed his relationship with his kids. You see, present-centered lives is not just something that we get together and talk about on Sunday morning, and it's something that we maybe should think about doing. Present-centered lives are vital for every single one of us, not just our leaders. It's a non-negotiable for our leaders. But for every one of us, it should be a non-negotiable because we need the presence of God. Amen? It's, it's not something that God created us to go without. And so we have to know how to live a presence-centered, a Jesus-presence-centered lives. And so we have to talk about that. We have to figure out how to do that. And we have to encourage one another on this journey because the world gives us excellent self-help advice and not a presence-centered advice. And so we have to be different from the culture in which we live, encouraging and pushing one another to live a presence-centered lives. And so let me give you some bad self-help advice that you've probably heard, or you may have actually even said some of these. Some, one is, do what you love and the money will follow. You've, you've probably heard that. Just do what you love because that's what you're supposed to be doing, and then the money is going to follow. That's some bad self-help advice. Or maybe you've heard this one. Winning is everything, right? That's bad self-help advice. Or UCLA football coach Henry Sanders said it this way. Winning isn't everything. Winning is the only thing. Well, then what do you say to somebody that's not winning in life? 
What do you say to somebody that's in a struggle and it seems like everything they can do is focused on keeping their head up above water? You see, when you are focused on the winning, you will miss the mark. When you're focused on the money, you will miss the mark. But when you are focused on the presence of God, then as the psalmist said, God is an ever-present help in times of trouble. And so if you are not winning, and if the money hasn't followed, as long as you're living a present-centered life, then you're doing exactly what God wants you to do. You see, the world will give us bad self-help advice, but the scripture and the purpose of God coming was to give us access to the presence of God and then form and shape us through the scripture to build a presence-centered life. Some more bad self-help advice. Visualize whatever you want and it will happen to you. Live for yourself and nothing else because that's the way to get by in life. And then this one. I think this one's my favorite one. Whoever has the most toys wins. (laughs) You've seen that. It's usually the guys driving those huge trucks with tires taller than me. And then on the back of the truck it says whoever has the most toys wins. And they have a motorcycle or they have like a a four-wheeler or something in the back. You You know what I think every time I see that? Whoever has the most toys still dies. You don't win. You're still gonna die. And if you've got the most toys in life, but you've missed the presence of God, then when you die, the toys don't matter. You see, it's important for us to build presence-centered lives and avoid the self-help advice that the world wants to give us. Because whenever we're building a life that revolves around ourselves, this is what I promise you. At some point, your life is going to crumble. And then all you will have are broken pieces. But whenever you are building a presence-centered life, what you will discover is that you are chasing the presence of God and He is the one that is doing the building in your life. You're building a life chasing his presence, and then he's the one that's doing the building inside of you. Whenever we follow Jesus, it's not self-help. Instead, it is Jesus, and then others, and then ourself. For it's in this that Jesus gave us the advice that we need to build a life that is centered on his presence. So that takes us again to the book of Colossians. Paul had never met the believers here that he's writing to. He had heard about the believers. Paul didn't start this church, so this isn't one of the churches that Paul had visited town and he had set up and gathered some people to launch this church. In the beginning of Colossians, Paul tells us how he actually found out through one of Paul's close acquaintances, uh, one of his brothers and confidants in ministry that was from this area, and he was sharing this information as Paul was actually in jail. And so here Paul is riding from jail and telling the Colossian believers that they've actually got some bad self-help advice from some people that are not living lives centered on the presence of God. And so what Paul is actually writing here is to distinguish between living, in, in, in my interpretation, he's writing here to distinguish a life focused on self 
or a life that is leading people away from Jesus and a life that is centered on the presence of God. So Paul is, I believe, writing this, this prison letter to tell the church how to live a presence-centered life. In the beginning of this, Paul is telling us about uh, how he never stops praying for the believers. He gives us some amazing, rich theology that we actually need in his prayer to build a presence-centered life. But the one thing that I hope that you catch as we dive through, um, dissect, and then digest this prison letter of Paul, is what Paul is doing here is he is telling us that a presence-centered life always gives us spiritual growth. It always happens that way. And so a presence-centered life always produces spiritual growth. And so Paul is saying, you can't focus on a list of rules. You can't focus on the do's and the don'ts. You can't focus on what people tell you you have to. Instead, what you must do is focus on the presence of Jesus in your life. Because it's only the presence of Jesus in your life that produces spiritual growth. If there is no presence of Jesus, there can never be true spiritual growth. All you're doing is living some self-help advice, and at some point, that is going to crumble. So Paul is really distinguishing between the two. We must live lives focused on the presence of Jesus and not focus on anything else. Because spiritual growth means that we're growing to know how God wants us to live and we seek to please him in all things. And so when we look at the book of Colossians here in just a second, you're going to see how Paul, Paul lays out just in his prayer. That's all we're going to look at today is Paul's prayer in just a little, uh, one or two other verses here. He's saying this is what it means to live a present-centered life. And when you're living a present-centered life, it leads you to spiritual growth. Well, what is spiritual growth? Well, it's two things. It's, it's growing to know God and how he wants us to live. Well, what does that do? Well, then that allows us to seek to please him in all things in our life. Do you see what the focus here is? It's not self. The focus is Jesus. And so whenever you turn and you live a present-centered life, you're living a life that is going to grow spiritually, and that allows you to know how God wants you to live so that then you're seeking to please him in every area of your life. And so it gives you this fresh perspective here. And it's the key, really, to building spiritual growth. So let's take a look at Colossians chapter 1. We're going to begin reading in verse 3. We're going to read a good bit of scripture here. We're not going to get to the next section. We're just going to mainly look at the Paul's prayer and then a couple of verses. So let's dive in. Colossians 1 chapter 3. Paul's... Um, Paul writes in verse 3, We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring up from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. Catch, Catch what Paul says here. All over the world, This gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it. 
from Ephaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So do you catch what Paul is praying about here? He's praying about the will of God. You see, when you live a present-centered life, it helps you discern the will of God. Because you will never discern the will of God if you're not living a life focused on God. So if you're living a life focused on self, and you're not willing to focus on the presence of God, you'll never be able to discern the will of God. Because when you're living a self-centered life, you're focused on self. God never reveals His will to those that are focused on self. You must know that. But whenever you say, hey God, I know that I've been living a selfish life, focused on myself and my wants and what I think that I can get out of life. And so God, I'm ready to live a present-centered life, a life that's focused on you. And it's at that point, spiritual growth begins to happen. When spiritual growth begins to happen, that's when you can discern the will of God. Some of us have been living self-focused lives and we're begging God, God, please tell me what your will is. Please tell me what your will is. Well, the first thing that you have to ask yourself is who are you focused on? Are you focused on self or are you focused on Jesus? Because when you're turning and facing towards self, you will never be able to discern the will of God when you're not focused on him. And that's what Paul's praying for. He says, we've never stopped praying for you since we heard about you. In verse 9, he says, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you and, listen, and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding. That's spiritual growth that leads to the knowledge of God's will. We'll see in a couple of weeks how Paul says you can fix your life focused on the presence of God away from self so that you can begin to discern the will of God. So then he goes on in verse 10. He says, and we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. There again is this phrase. Paul is talking about the knowledge or the will of God. Paul said now two times, this is what I'm praying for you. I'm praying so that you will have knowledge of the will of God or knowledge of what God is doing in your life. Catch it again because this is important. You will never build a presence or you can, you can never discern the will of God unless you are building a Jesus presence centered life. Focused on self, you're on your own. Focused on Jesus, he'll give you through spiritual growth the knowledge of his will. That's what Paul is praying for. Because some people here are lying to the followers of Christ. And they are saying, if you do X, Y, and Z, then you are going to grow in the grace of God. And then you'll be able to discern his will. And Paul is writing this letter saying, that is not the truth. And you have to separate yourself from false teaching. Let's keep going in verse 15. I'm sorry, in verse 13. Eh, let's go back. Wait a minute, where am I at? Verse 11, sorry. 
I moved my thumb and I lost it. Verse 11. It's being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins." What Paul is in essence summing up here is you can live a present-centered life that allows you to begin to discern the will of God and know the will of God so that then you can please Him if, if, if you're focused on Jesus. In this next section that we'll look at in a couple of weeks, he talks about the supremacy of Christ, that God is actually everything. In verse 9, in fact, Paul says he uses the word all or he uses the word every a lot when he's talking, about, talking to the believers and how he actually prays for him. In verse 9, Paul says it's all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Notice that Paul did not say there will be a portion, there will be a little bit, but instead he said you get all spiritual wisdom and understanding. It all comes through relationship with Jesus Christ. In verse 10, Paul says, you will please him in all respects, in every area of your life. You remember spiritual growth, it allows you to know the will of God, and it allows you to begin to please him in every single way. Paul did not say, begin to please him occasionally. He did not say that you will please him some days, and then some days you won't. Paul is saying, you have the ability to know and understand according to what God has given to us, what he's doing in our lives. And then, in verse 10, he says that you can please him in all respects, in every area of your life. But the way that you do that, again, is by living a present-centered life. A present-centered life. And so it's important for us to know how to build a present-centered life. Then in verse uh, 11, Paul says that you can be strengthened with all power, not self-power, but power from God on high. Then in verse 11 again, in the last part of that, Paul says it's for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. It all comes from Jesus Christ. Everything you need in life will come to you when you're living a presence-centered life focused on Jesus. God will allow you to chase yourself. God will allow you to pursue self-interest. God will allow you to build your own life in the same way that he allowed Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3 to begin to focus on self instead of focusing on what God had told them. God will allow you to do that. But when everything begins to crumble, and when everything begins to fall apart, I think it's in those moments, it's in those moments that the Holy Spirit does some of his greatest work. It's in those moments that we have to realize that our work has been building self instead of building a life focused on Jesus Christ. There's actually a quote that I want to share from D.A. Carlson, who used to be a church consultant, and this is what he says. In the Western church, where we are at, the knowledge of God declines while our fascination with techniques and fads 
increases. The knowledge of God declines. Meanwhile, we're getting fascinated with everything that we can do instead of focusing on the presence of Jesus Christ. Do you know what exhausts us as a church? Do you know what exhausts us as God's creation? When we're focusing on fads and techniques and we're focusing on self and we're not focusing on the presence of God. Listen, God created you. God created you to be in his presence. God created you so that you could have a relationship with him, not so that you could chase some fad or some technique or smoke and lights and mirrors and self. God created us to be in a relationship with him. The entire reason God worked throughout the New Testament from Genesis chapter 3 until the arrival of Jesus and the death on the cross was to fix that relationship and prepare the way so that he could come and wrap himself in flesh and pay the price so we could be in relationship with him. Not so that we can build a church, not so that we can do X, Y, and Z, but instead so that we can build presence-centered lives. Jesus then said, it's his church. And he said in declaration three times in the New Testament that he will do the work of building the church. Not us. It's his church. He died for it. We don't have to die for it. What we have to do are build presence-centered lives and begin to chase God with all of ourselves. Our only hope in life is building a presence-centered life. Outside of chasing a relationship with God, there is no hope. So, how is it that we can grow spiritually? How is it in growing spiritually? Remember, growing spiritually produces two things. One, we can have some knowledge of the will of God. Uh, let me put that slide back up here. So that you, so that you can know how to have, you know how to live, that's a little bit of the knowledge of what God wants you to know, and that you can begin to seek and please him in all things. How is it that we can grow spiritually? I want to share with you seven things this morning. I want to ask you to write these things down. I hate making lists, but I'm making a list this morning. For the next 15 minutes, we're going to talk about this list that I've made for us. First, you have to read and meditate on the word of God. You have to get into the word of God. You know how God starts speaking to you? It's through the word of God. A lot of times we get frustrated and we say, God, you're not speaking to me. He has. It's from Genesis to Revelation. He's given us this gift, and he expects you to start here. So you have to get into the Word of God. Now listen, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that this is the only way God speaks, because it's not. God speaks to us through so many different ways. He speaks to us through creation. Uh, whenever you look at the beauty of God's creation, I think that God speaks to us through that. I've read in Scripture that God has spoken through a donkey before. God speaks to us through so many different ways. But I believe that the way God starts speaking to us is through His Word. It's right here. It's a gift for us. This is God's Word, and we have to start here. I don't believe that you go read a book about the Bible. I think that you start by reading the Bible. And so as you open this up and you begin to live it, and you begin to take this in, and you begin to reflect on it, you meditate on it, you pray over it, what happens is this is how you begin turning away from self and focusing on the presence of Jesus Christ. It starts here. 
And so if you're not in the Word of God, you're going to miss the presence of God because this leads you to the presence. So first, the first thing you have to do if you want to live a present-centered life, you've got to get into the Word of God. You've got to read it. You've got to meditate on it. You've got to pray over it. So if you're not in the Word of God, you're going to miss it. That's how you can tell if you're living a self-life or if you're living a presence-centered life. Because the closer you get to God, the more of a hunger that you will develop for His Word. It's one of the reasons I, I've shared with you all um, before as I begin to, um, I've begun to, um, or it's, it's been about two years ago now, I actually changed how I eat. Um, and I'm not eating sugar anymore. One of the reasons that I'm, this is, I'm not telling you guys to go out and all stop eating sugar. That's not at all what I'm saying. Um, but for me, I had to stop eating sugar because I would crave more and more sugar. And so what I've noticed is after a period of time, after I stopped eating sugar, I stopped having a hunger for sugar. And so in my office, on my conference room table, I, maybe I'm living a double life. I, I, I mean, it's not a double life. I, maybe I'm living a life that contradicts itself. Because on my table, there's a conference room table in my office. I have candy laid out there. There's Tootsie Rolls. There's Nerds. There's all, all kinds of different amazing sugar things. Uh, and you know what is awesome about that? I don't have a hunger for that. Do you know why I don't have a hunger for that? Because I've stopped eating it, and I made a declaration, I'm not going there. Well, initially, I would have never been able to have nerds and, and Tootsie Rolls and whatever else is laying out there and walk by that because I would want some of that. But the further I get from that time that I stopped eating sugar two years ago, the less I want that. Now, if I were to go over and I were to pick up some of the nerds or if I were to pick up some of the Tootsie Rolls or whatever else is, is laying there and I would start eating that, then what would happen is I would start to crave that again. Well, that's how it is with the Word of God. Some of you aren't hungry for the Word of God because you stopped a long time ago. And what you have to do is make it a discipline to get back in the Word of God. And what you will discover, the more, you, the more time you spend in the Word of God, the more of a hunger that develops in you for the Word of God. And so just as sugar would begin to rewire my uh, taste buds and brain and, and create in me a craving for sugar if I would go out and start eating it again, well, that's how the Word of God works. Because these are the words of life. These are words that are sharper than a two-edged sword. These are words that reorient us away from self and orient us back to living a presence-centered life. So it starts here. You have to get in the Word of God. You have to read it, and you have to meditate on it. The second is, you have to pray and ask God for understanding. The Scripture is clear to us that if there is something that we want, what we have to do is ask for it. You have not because you ask not. Now, God doesn't give us everything that we ask for, but God does answer our prayer. And if you ask God for understanding, and you are spending time in His Word, you are chasing His presence, you are listening to His voice, then what will happen is you will begin to have some understanding. And this is possible, because Paul told us in his beginning uh, part of his letter to the church that I am praying for you to have understanding of God's will and knowledge of what God is doing. Now, Paul would have never written that if it wasn't possible. Verse 9 again, Paul says, For this reason, 
Since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now Paul is saying, I'm praying for this over and over and over and over and over for you. Why would Paul say that? He's giving us a way to pattern our prayers. So Paul says, this is how I pray in hopes that we catch it and we start praying like that. You see, Paul is praying that they would have knowledge and they would have understanding. Paul did not have some special dispensation that he was the one that had to pray for everybody to have knowledge and understanding. No, Paul was instead living a present-centered life And he was saying to the church and thereby to us, if you want to live a present-centered life, then this is what you should be praying and asking for. And so if there is something that you don't understand, or if you are seeking God in a certain area, then as you dive into his word, you read his word, you meditate on his word, you take in his word, and you begin having a conversation with God, the one thing that you have to do is ask God to give you understanding. Paul has patterned that for us, and he has said, this is what you need to do. Now, there are times that it doesn't come instantly. In fact, very rarely does that come instantly in a moment of revelation. There are some times that it does, but sometimes what we will see as we chase God and we build present-centered lives, then what happens is we begin to have some understanding. I wouldn't be me if I didn't tell you a little bit later on, I think it's number six, that you have to write in a journal. Um, that's one of the reasons that, that I encourage you to write in a journal. That's one of the reasons that Pastor Gary and, and Pastor Ken Love encouraged me to get this discipline in your life and start recording it in a journal. Because now as I go back and I read bits and pieces of my journal, I, I begin to see, oh, now I see what God is doing. You see, God is building a mosaic where there are lots of different pieces and lots of different uh, things that go together to build a greater picture of his word and his will, and um, not his word, but his will in our lives so that we can then have understanding. But if we're not writing it down, more than likely what happens is we will miss that. So you've got to pray and ask God for understanding. The third thing, The third thing here is you have to stop doing things for God and live with him. God doesn't need our help. Breaking news. God desires to use us. And we think sometimes, let me rephrase that. I think sometimes that I've got to help God with the things that he's doing in my life and in other people's lives. And what I have learned is we have to stop doing things for God and instead just live with him. You see, that's how God created us to be in relationship with one another. We don't have to constantly be doing things for other people. We just need to be together. We just need to have relationship with one another. Well, that's how it is with God as well. We just have to be with God. So when we wake up in the morning, we should not be thinking, I need to do this, I need to do this, I need to do this, and I need to do this. Instead, what we should be doing is spending time with God and letting Him order our steps and then direct us. Because whenever we start doing things for God, chances are we've missed the understanding of what God is actually doing. And so instead, we just have to be with God. 
I believe that this is, when the scripture talks to us, and, and Paul talks to us about praying without ceasing, I really think that that's what this is, is just being with God. And as you're with God and you begin to understand and he begins to speak, well then you just see how the Lord directs and the Lord orders and the Lord guides and the Lord leads and all of this stuff. And it just comes by being with him, not waking up thinking I've got to do X, Y, and Z for God. The fifth thing here, or the fourth thing, I'm sorry, submit your will to the Father's will. Submit your will to the Father's will. I want to go back and look at verse 10 here. In verse 10, again, Paul says, And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Growing in the knowledge of God. Submit your will to the Father's will. Have you ever had a strong-willed child? Have you ever known a strong-willed child? If you want to see some strong-willed child, children, let me know. I'm not, I'm not going to take you to my house. That's not the case at my house. I'm not saying that. I'll let you spend a little bit of time in, in our preschool. <laughs> and you can see a couple of kids that are some strong-willed kids. I'll let you spend a little time in our elementary or, or in our secondary school, even with, with some of the kids that are there. One of the things that I have seen in children is they have a will. And some kids have a strong self-will. And one of the things that I believe we are doing here as a ministry of Whitechapel Church through uh, um, Warner Christian Academy and preschool, through our children's ministry and our youth ministry, we are helping uh, little lives not focus on their own will, but instead focus on God's will. And you know what? That's what we have to do as well. Whenever we focus on self, that's when we start getting bad self-help advice, and we start encouraging ourselves. But whenever we start focusing on the Father's will, that's when our mind can be completely blown because we're living present-centered lives and he begins to give us this knowledge and this understanding that's far greater than anything we could ever imagine on our own. We have to live lives that are focused on the Father's will and completely submitted to him. How is it that we do that? Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and said this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So do you see what Paul is saying again here? You can have some understanding of the will of God. He said it in Colossians. He said it here in Romans, uh, Romans chapter 12. He said it in a number of his letters that we have in the New Testament. But if you notice, there's two parts to this passage. The beginning, he says, you have to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. You have to do this. 
Don't conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of mind. And then he says this in in verse 2. This is the amazing part to me. Then, so if you do this, if you are a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, then you will get verse 2. You will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. You must submit your will to the Father's will. You must offer yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Then you will be able to have some understanding. Then you will be able to know the will of God. This one is not, none of these I believe are optional, but this one is vital. This is where we really begin to make that turn away from self to living a present-centered life. Number five here, participate in church. Participate in church. Attend the church. Work in church. Give to the church. This one is vital for us, and let me tell you why. The next verse that I, the next verse, um, that I want to share is verse 18. So if you look at verse 18 of Colossians chapter 1, this is what Paul says. It's about Jesus. So he's praying all of this stuff in the beginning, and then he gets into who Jesus is. Verse 18 he says, and he, that's Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. Let me ask you a question, and and I'm saying this to people that are here, so, so I get that. But I want to stress the importance of being a part of the church. Why would we want to have a relationship with somebody that's the head of the church and not be a part of the church? That's something that we've believed in the church of God for a long, since our beginning, since actually before our beginning. As D.S. Warner was going around and he was, and he was stirring up in, in people, that there was not any role that we played in who's in the church and who's out of the church. Because it's Jesus' church. He's the head of the church. He places us into the body exactly where he wants us. Paul wrote about that in the book of Ephesians. God has placed us in the church. He is the head of the body, the church. It's his church. He died for it. He controls it. And whenever you are living a present-centered life, you're automatically a part of the church. So we've got to be able to be together Because if we want to spend eternity together, we probably ought to spend a little bit of time down here warming us up before we actually get to to, to actually get to eternity. We need relationships with each other. God created us to be in relationship with each other. The way that we are in relationship with each other as in by is by participating in the church. We need each other. We are the body of Christ. And whenever you separate the head from the body, you don't have a living body any longer. So we have to make sure that the body and the head are connected, and we are the body. We are actually together. The sixth thing you have to do, this one's no surprise, start a journal. Start a journal. I think it's a record of your growth. So I think the best way to celebrate what God is doing in your life is by going back and reviewing parts of your journal. If God tells you something, write it down. Put it on paper so that you don't forget it. Because what happens is over time, our minds forget it. I have to write everything down. Melissa can't tell me, go to the grocery store and buy salad dressing without me writing down that I have to get salad dressing because there's 50,000 kinds of salad dressing. 
um, and I might get the wrong brand of salad dressing, or I might get one that has uh, whatever in it, or it's fat, or whatever. I have to write everything down. So if I'm writing salad dressing down, I probably ought to write down the things the Lord is stirring up inside of me. Start a journal. It's a record of your spiritual growth. And then what happens, you can use this as a tool to crush what the enemy might be saying or then as a tool to celebrate what God is doing in your life. It's important. It's important that you record what God is doing in your life. Can you imagine Can you imagine not having the journals of David that we have, which which are the books of Psalms, the Psalms? Can you imagine not having that gift that God has given to us? So I encourage you to write write it down in a journal. The last thing that I want to share with you, the last thing, give it all away. Give it all away. This one I actually got from a Gaither song that I heard this week. So, so I'm listening to the radio, uh, Sirius XM, and I'm listening to the radio, and then um, this song comes on, and it says, take whatever you have and give it away. I thought, I love that song. Because if everything we have is a gift from God, shouldn't we want to share that gift with other people? So in this song, it simply says, take whatever you have, and give it away. And then uh, this, it was an interview uh, with Bill Gaither and a couple of other people. And then they came on. And then they were sharing testimonies of when this had been done. And how God had used what they took and invested in the lives of other people. And used it in their lives in, in a huge, huge way. Do you know what Jesus came and he modeled for us on the earth? Is, is giving it away. What did he do first? He gave his life away, right? He gave his life so that we could begin to build present-centered lives. Jesus gave it away. Whenever we have knowledge, what we have to do is give that knowledge away. Whenever we begin to hold on to things, what you will discover is God won't give you something until you give whatever you have away. You have to give your knowledge away. You have to give your stuff, some of your stuff, not all of your stuff, but you have to give some stuff away that you're not using so that you can get more stuff and then give that other stuff so that it just becomes this constant circle. Let me give you what Jesus actually said. Jesus actually said, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then, then, come and follow me. This is a conversation Jesus was having with a rich man. And Jesus is actually saying, you got to stop focusing on self and stop focusing on your stuff. And you have to start living a present-centered life. You see, Jesus said, deal with your stuff and then come follow me. What happens is our stuff, our stuff, physical and spiritual, can stop us from living presence-centered lives. Let me leave you with one verse. John 5.30, Jesus' words. Jesus said, by myself I can do nothing. By myself I can do nothing. Even Jesus in the flesh said, without the Father, I'm actually nothing. Paul said in Colossians chapter 1, without the Father, you're absolutely nothing. Without the presence of your God, without the presence of God in your life, you're just living a selfish life. So what I want to ask you to do right now in this time is to commit to living a life focused on the Father. I think that as we have spent some time together here this morning, I think that the Father has begun to speak to some of us 
about some things in our life that we're focusing on that is self instead of focusing on living a presence-centered life. I think the Lord may have brought some things to our minds that we need to stop focusing on or we need to stop chasing. And we just need to say, God, I'm not going to worry about that anymore. And instead, I'm going to start focusing on you. So as we stand and sing in just a moment, let this be a time of turning, of focusing on self and focusing on what God is doing in you in building a presence-centered life focused on Him. Thanks for joining us at Whitechapel Church Online. We pray that today's sermon blessed you and that you'll continue to join us as we lean into God's Word together. Until next time, have a great week.